This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is card number 474, Tom Brookens, third base slash shortstop for the Detroit Tigers. And why are we talking about Tom today? I don't remember the last time we talked about a Detroit Tiger. I think they're one of the least covered teams that we have so far. We've only done a few of these guys, so figured let's pick somebody who's got a Sabre bio. Tom has one written by Pat Kilroy and Larry Hilliard. Tom also has a card corner on the Baseball Hall of Fame website. Kind of surprising for a third base slash shortstop, not really a star, but sometimes they pick interesting guys who had interesting careers. Tom had this long Jim Gantner-esque career where he was just constantly there. We also got some help from our research assistant, Curtis who sent some great articles and a video. Tom Brookins, mainstay for a decade in Detroit. Not the best bat, but a guy who hustled and had an outstanding mustache. And he played anywhere that they put him. Everything we need for a great episode here. So let's go to the front of 474. And you do see a great mustache. You've got Tom Brookins sitting in the dugout, flashing a great smile, great mustache, big glasses, big hat, big five o'clock shadow. He's got a mullet peeking out of the back. This is a unique look in the set, David. We haven't had someone who's looked like this. This is perhaps the most disheveled of any (laughs) player that we've had. No, I don't say that in a bad way. He just looks like a very normal guy. Matt, a peek behind the curtain for listeners. We went to dinner the other day at a local brewery, and I saw a guy who had a distinct Tom Brookins look. (laughs) You would see this guy. Maybe the glasses would be a little bit smaller. These are some giant science teacher glasses these are 80s glasses the guy working at the brewery definitely would have had smaller dark frame glasses rather than these wire frames with aviator kind of size and style lenses you can almost call it a handlebar mustache and i say a five o'clock shadow but given how thick the mustache is how thick the mullet is you've got hair peeking out of the, the front of the cap too this is like a twelve thirty shadow Like, I'm guessing this guy could grow that mustache in two days. We will get to it later on, but there was a point where this was a clean-shaven man. (laughs) Shave three times a day. (laughs) We have a first here as well. You can see a reflection in his glasses. Mm. And it looks like you can see the crowd in Tiger Stadium reflected. I'm zooming here on the Jumbotron. I put the auxiliary power on up to 450%. And I can't make out what's going on in the reflection of his glasses. But it is really neat. This is a really neat looking card. He's a kind of a funny looking guy, but more just flashing a great smile. But really, this is not a, a look that is totally out of place in modern society. He, no. he could be a 1980s baseball player. He could be a 35-year-old hipster. Let's go to the back of 474, and we have Tom Brookins, third base and shortstop. 5'10", 170, right-handed batter and thrower, drafted by the Tigers in the first round of January 1975, born August 10th, 1953 in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, with a home in Fayetteville, Pennsylvania. Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, South Pennsylvania, right in the middle of the state, 20 miles north of the Maryland border. 
He grew up in nearby Fayetteville, which is an unincorporated area around 3,000 people in Franklin County. Notable Fayette villains, Gene Stapleton, best known as Edith Bunker, and her husband, John Putsch, spent a lot of time in the area. So they weren't necessarily from there, but they spent a lot of time there because Putsch directed Summerstock Theater at a nearby state park. And he did this for 30 years, and he got famous actors to come to this Summerstock Theater, and they would perform. Really famous. He did that for decades. Uh, Gene Stapleton would often act in those productions as well. Also, Newman Raymer, who was a member of the 54th Massachusetts Regiment, the African-American regiment formed during the Civil War, famously depicted in the film Glory. Matt, I included a link here to the Pennsylvania polka. I am obligated to play it. It's in my family's charter that this song must be played if mentioned. Yeah, it's in your top played every year. In my Spotify wrapped, yes. This song was written by Lester Lee and Zeke Manners and made famous initially by the Andrews sisters and then Frankie Yankovic. His version was used in the movie Groundhog Day over and over and over and over again. And I bring this up because Ernie Harwell would later refer to Tom as the Pennsylvania poker. He did that because both his Pennsylvania birthplace, but also his slap hitting prowess. Tom was known to choke up on the bat He had a quick swing, didn't have a lot of power, so just a slap hitter, more of a contact guy than a power guy. So the Pennsylvania poker, I guess he could have called him the Brookings Institute. A two-hour and 46-minute drive from Chambersburg to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, in case you wanted to go to where the, not where Groundhog Day was shot, but where it's based. Of course, Groundhog Day famously shot in Woodstock, Illinois. If Tom Brookins sees his five o'clock shadow, it means eight more weeks of winter. (laughs) Tom also had a twin brother, Tim. Their mom was an elementary school cook, and their dad was a Sandlot baseball player. So baseball was in the family, and he also was a dairy farmer. So they grew up on a farm. Both brothers played at Chambersburg Area High School, as did their cousin Ike Brookins. Ike was a few years older than Tom and Tim, and he was drafted in 1967, played in three games for the Tigers in 1975. Ike's son, Casey, also played in the minor leagues. So there's a lot of Brookenses on baseball reference. While in high school, Tom met his future wife, Krista, and he was a good player, but he didn't get drafted into the majors at this point. But he and Tim were both recruited to play at Mansfield State College, now Mansfield University. They also convinced another Brookins, cousin Jeff, to join them at Mansfield. So there were three Brookinses on the Mansfield Mounties baseball team. When they were juniors, Tom played shortstop and hit 378. Tim started in center field. They got a little bit of pro interest, but weren't picked in the 1974 draft. But then in January 1975, before their senior seasons, there's a supplemental draft, and neither brother really knew what to expect, but they made history. They were the first, and we're pretty sure, the only identical twins picked in the first round of the Major League Draft. Tom is quick to point out that this first round pick is a little misleading. It was the January draft, but still a cool moment. 
Tom was selected fourth by the Tigers, and Tim was picked 18th by the Rangers. When contacted by the local media, Tom said, I'm really surprised we went in the first round. We just want to see what they're going to offer and go from there. I just hope we can come to terms and sign. Tom is modest about this first round pick. He says, there might have been only 10 guys drafted in that whole draft. I don't know. And we've seen this before in the January drafts. A lot of times, most of these guys don't make it to the big leagues. They wait around, especially in Tom and Tim's case, where they have a senior season. They can play again and get drafted in the regular draft. And so both of the brothers had a little bit of wiggle room. Tim rejected the Rangers' first offer, but then they came back with a higher, better offer, and he signed a week after the draft. Tom rejected the Tigers' initial offer, and he told the local news he'd go back to school if the offer wasn't to his liking. And the Tigers told him they had made their final offer. Tom said that he gave them his demands and said, call me if you change your mind. They didn't call him right away, so Tom stuck to his word and enrolled in classes. He said, what I hope to do is have a good college year and get drafted again in June. Good plan. But then a week later, the same scout called him and doubled his bonus offer, including performance bonuses and future education expenses. So Tom agreed, and he joined the Tigers and was sent to A Montgomery right away. Brother Tim would play four seasons in the minors, two for Texas and two for Detroit, making it as high as A. But Tom had a much longer career. At Montgomery, Tom needed a little time. At first, he played 100 games, hit 222 with seven home runs, playing shortstop. He improved a lot at the plate in 1976 while playing all over the infield, hitting 258, 11 home runs, and adding 21 steals. He improved his on-base percentage as well. His first year, he had walked only 29 times, but then in his second year, he walked 66 times compared to his 65 strikeouts. And he also had a fun fact this year. Tom led Southern League second baseman with 389 assists at Montgomery in 1976. He went 466 for 1732 for a 269 average in 497 minor league games. Great job, Topps Corporation. <laughs> like Going from leading second baseman in assists and then his entire minor league batting average, it's not exactly a fun fact. That is a strange fun fact. It just says he, you know, he played almost 500 minor league games and he was fine. Yeah. I'm sure he there's was, something else interesting to say there's about There's got to be something fun. No mustache mention whatsoever. When did the mustache arrive? How was it in the minors? I feel like that he, mustache has always been. Well, the mustache and Tom moved up to AAA Evansville in 1977. Brookins played most of his games at third with some at second. He was good in 118 games, hitting 289 with 18 steals, scoring 70 runs, and driving in 52. If Tom was going to move any further, though, it was probably going to have to be at third base. Because that year, Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker jumped from AA all the way to the majors. The middle of the infield for the Tigers was blocked, and the future was there. The Tigers had third baseman Aurelio Rodriguez blocking Tom's path to the majors. Rodriguez had won a gold glove in 1976. He was a good third baseman with a below-average bat, but he was getting up in age. That was going to be Tom's path if he was going to move forward. Had to be at third base. Tom had a sore arm in 1978 and missed significant playing time, only appearing in 65 games. Then he was playing in Venezuela that winter and had an odd lucky break. So what seemed like a negative would turn out okay for Tom. He was in a car accident. He wasn't seriously injured, but he had a dislocated shoulder. 
And by the time he's back for spring training the next year, his shoulder had healed and he never had a sore arm after that. So something in his rehabilitation or getting some rest helped him heal up his arm that had been sore and and kept him out for parts of 1978. Some of that Venezuela magic that we keep seeing over and over through the years. 1979 would be Tom's third year at Evansville. Evansville had been managed by Les Moss, but he was moved up to manage the Tigers. And so young whippersnapper Jim Leland, 34 years old, was brought in. Having spent eight years in the Tigers organization, this was his first year as a triple-A manager. And Tom responded well to the new skipper through 77 games. He was playing really well, hitting 306, 14 homers, 10 steals, and an OPS of 948. Meanwhile, back in Detroit, 50 or so games into the season, the Tigers fired Les Moss. They were 27-26 and 26 at this point, and they shocked everybody when they brought in Sparky Anderson. Local press felt that Moss was mistreated. He was called, quote, Old Faithful, and he <laughs> only had a one-year contract. When they brought him into the team, they did not reward his years of service to the team. They didn't give him a long-term contract. Instead, when they bring in Anderson, he's brought in on a five-year deal. But then again, Sparky Anderson had a record of success with four pennants, two World Series titles during his time in Cincinnati. And Tom said that he always expected Jim Leland would be the next manager of the Tigers. But then Sparky came in and Jim Leland got lost in the shuffle. We'll see what happens to him later. Yeah, that guy Jim seems like he might have a future David, I'm just curious, though, about if you're given the nickname Old Faithful, that seems to portend bad luck. Like, I'd much rather have the nickname Old Good at His Job rather than (laughs) Old Sticks Around a Long Time. Tom had played for Les Moss in the minors, enjoyed his time playing for Les, but he also knew that it was all business and out of the control of the players who, at this point, he said, just we just follow orders. Well, Sparky would turn out to be a fan of Tom Brookins, and when the Tigers' backup third baseman broke a finger, Leland suggested up the chain that they reward Tom's strong first half of the season. So Tom got called up July 10th, 1979, and he got a single in his very first at-bat. He was caught trying to steal third, but it was a decent start for him. Playing in 60 games that year, including 56 starts, mostly at third base and some at second to give Lou Whitaker a break. He finished the season with a 263 average, four homers, 10 steals, and better than average defense. And really what stands out, David, is his look of that rookie card. His 1980 Topps card, he does not have a mustache. Does not look like the same guy whatsoever. In the minors, he at some points had a full beard. But Sparky Anderson came to the team in 1979 and he told the players no mustaches. So Tom Mm. comes up to the majors, he had to shave... I, you know, I don't know how long that took. I don't know if there was a ceremony involved getting rid of that mustache. But thankfully for us, we didn't have to look at a card like this horrible 1980 card, clean-shaven Tom Brookins. Sparky relaxed his mustache rule by 1980, and so Tom has been mustachioed ever since. Yeah, I do like this card, though, with Tom. Look at that intense stare really good sideburns too like he he decided he basically took all of the flair from the mustache and let it go with the sideburn because that sideburn's completely covering his ear looks good he's got one batting glove 1980 the tigers cleared the way 
for Tom to be the regular third baseman. And he responded with a very good year at the plate, hitting 275, which was his career best average, 10 homers, 9 triples, and 25 doubles. He was showing good range at third base, better than average in the field overall, even though he led the American League in errors with 29. By other statistics, he was better in the field. He was able to get to more balls, so some of those errors other players just wouldn't have got to. Tom did have one outstanding game on August 20th, probably the best game of his career. This one has its own Sabre Games Project story. Somebody devoted an entire article to Tom Brookens' (laughs) best career game. Gotta love the Society for American Baseball Research. In this game, Tom went 5-for-5, including a home run, two RBIs, two runs scored, and he started a triple play. Probably the best game of his career, maybe not the best moment of his career, as he was on the 1984 Tigers, but really just an outstanding individual performance in that one. And a solid first full season in the majors altogether. He was valued at 2.5 wins above replacement. That is a starter-level performance, but this would be his peak career performance. Throughout his career, Brookens would have to compete with the next Tigers third baseman or whoever Sparky in the front office decided was a better option. That included guys like Glenbo, Glenn Wilson, who at one point when he was put in at third base said, I had no idea why anyone thought I could play third. <laughs> Barbaro Garby, who I, I don't know if that's right. Barbaro Garby, who Sparky Anderson once called the next Roberto Clemente. Howard Johnson, who would go on to multiple 30-30 seasons with the Mets. Mick Kelleher, Marty Castillo, Daryl Evans, Darnell Coles, Chris Pitaro. One spring 1985 Lou Whitaker third base performance. Enos Cabell, Wayne Krenchicki, Jim Morrison, not the Lizard King. Ray Knight and Luis Salazar. Brookins stuck around and stuck through all of those guys and outlasted all of them, playing in Detroit until 1988. So the Tigers were always looking for the next thing. Tom Brookins was always there, never spectacular, but always solid. Sometimes his playing time was impacted, but he was always there. He was there in 1981 for the strike-shortened season, playing in 71 games, hitting 243, playing decent defense. I guess you can call this a Tom Brookins year. 1982 and 83, he played 140 and 138 games, respectively. His value mostly coming from his defense. Both both seasons valued at 1.7 defensive war, which kept him in the positive, despite OPS plus of only 72 and 68 those seasons, hitting 234 and 214 with nine and then six home runs. His on-base percentage both seasons was 275. That's not great. And not great power, average speed. He's basically just a defensive asset. None of the numbers on the back of this card jump out at us, but good defense and work ethic. In 1983, this Tigers team won 92 games and finished in second place. So heading into 1984, Tom said they didn't do anything special in spring training. There wasn't anything really different. And the team actually went 11-17 and 17 in spring training that year. But then they came out of the gates and went 35-5 and 5 to start the regular season. Tom wasn't setting the world on fire. He went 0-12 in his first seven games played, which were all wins. And through the first 40 team games, Tom started 18, played in 36 of them, but hit only 171. So Tom Brookens, while not being spectacular, is a part of this team that just keeps winning. He's just a guy on the field. And through the rest of the season, 
Brookins split time with Howard Johnson and others at third base. He also played 28 games at shortstop, 26 games at second base, wherever they needed him. For the rest of the year, he hit much better. That included hitting 421 between August 10th and the end of the season. In that span, he missed a couple weeks due to injury, but he ended up finishing with a 246 average, five home runs, and a 95 OPS+. That's a good performance for Tom. He also had some big moments late in the year. On September 16th, Brookins hit a home run and a win over the second-place Blue Jays, then hit an eighth-inning home run on September 18th against the Brewers. The Tigers won 3 to nothing to clinch the AL East. Drives a deep left field. Could be. It is well hit. It is gone. A home run for Brookings. Rookie stays hot. So Brookie stays hot to help the Tigers win the division. Tom wasn't fully healthy going into the 1984 playoffs, but he got a spot on the postseason roster. He was a defensive replacement in game one of the ALCS, playing two innings at second base. He didn't get in at bat in the 8-1 to win. He came in in the third inning of Game 2 and went 0-2 for in a win. In the World Series, he appeared in Games 1, 2, and 4 for a total of five innings and went 0-3. for And so he had a limited contribution, 0-5 for in the playoffs, but Brookins was a key contributor all over the infield in the regular season. Ultimately, that Tigers team won 104 games in the regular season, and while they had a 642 winning percentage on the year, they were 681 when Tom played. So even better when Tom was on the field, despite being a below-average hitter. Tom said the highlight for him that year on this World Series winning team was how much of a team effort it was. He said, we didn't have a 20-game winner. We didn't have anybody that drove in 100 runs. But even guys who were part-time players won games for us. And that includes guys like Tom Brookins. So he was a key member of this excellent 1984 Tigers team. In 1985, he appeared in a career-high 156 games. But the Tigers couldn't repeat that torrid pace from 1984 they won only 84 games tom had a down offensive year hitting 237 which was a 78 ops plus but his defense kept him on the field he was second in total runs above average among american league third basemen he also played catcher in a game that year putting him at yet another position played five innings he didn't make any errors Tom was willing to play wherever, and in his career, he played everywhere but pitcher and left field. I don't know why they didn't put him in left field, or even give him just, you know, give him an inning of garbage time pitching. Tom Brookins would do it. In 1986, Darnell Coles was playing really well and won the starting spot in spring training. This relegated Tom to a backup role. He played under 100 games, only 35 of them at third base, some second base, some DH. That's an interesting choice. Meanwhile, Darnell Coles hit 20 home runs and looked like, let's say it, the new Tigers third baseman of the future. Tom hit 270 in the limited playing time that he had. But he was still there. And in 1987, when Darnell Coles was struggling, had some injuries, some defensive issues, gets sent to rehab in AAA, Tom ends up seizing the spot at third base, and he gets the majority of the starts at third and the Tigers don't want to mess with success when Darnell Coles comes back. They end up trading him to Pittsburgh 
midseason, and it secures Tom's spot on the team. In a sign of the rabbit ball season, Tom hit a career-high 13 home runs. His previous high in 1980 was 10. He hit 241, and despite that Tom Brookens power surge, his OPS plus was <laughs> only 80, thanks to a 295 on-base percentage and an overall increase in league offense. After finally overtaking the Blue Jays to win the AL East, the Tigers faced the Twins in the American League Championship Series. Tom started all five games at third base. It was just not the Tigers series that year, and it was not Tom's series either. He went 0 for 13 as the Twins moved on to the World Series. Tom said this was disappointing for him, but he described playing in the Metrodome as something else and saying that Jack Morris on the mound couldn't hear him yelling to him from third base. He said, that place gets rocking and usually not in your favor. One other note about the 1987 season, Tom Brookins was the starting third baseman most of the season and was in RBI baseball, but we don't have a segment this week. Because I forgot. (laughs) But David, how could you have forgotten Tom Brookins' 241 average and him not being in RBI baseball? I think what happened was when I looked at the lineups of RBI baseball, I looked at the bench because I assumed, well, Tom Brookins would be, would obviously not be the starting third baseman of the Detroit Tigers in the 1987 season. So I looked at the bench. He wasn't on the bench. And I thought, okay, well, we don't have to call Brian this week. I guess this just means we have to talk about another Tiger soon. We'll do another Tiger soon and do both players at that time. So sorry, folks. Either way, 1988 was Tom's last year with the Tigers. He was still the starter at third and was decent. 243 average, five homers, five triples, 23 doubles. And heading into 1989, Tom was 34. The Tigers had maybe some other infielders who they thought would cover third. They had Rick Shue. They had Chris Brown. Not that Chris Brown. Not that Chris Brown. (laughs) And they had current D-backs manager, Tori Lovello. And so they traded Tom to the Yankees for pitcher Charles Hudson. Matt, even more disappointing, I just got a note from Brian that Tom Brookins is great in RBI baseball. Oh, man. Oh, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. Uh, the, you know, we were going to ask people to rate and review the podcast, but now I don't know if, oh. if we can in, in good conscience ask for Or if, I don't think we want those reviews. This is going to be... Tigers fans will be up in arms. I mean, this is horrible. Perhaps our worst worst episode ever. So Charles Hudson didn't do much for Detroit, and this was his last year in baseball. Once again, same story. We have the Yankees picking up a late career power hitter. Okay, not power hitter, but Tom Brookins. <laughs> and Brookins platooned with Mike Pagliarulo, and it really didn't go great. He hit 226, a 274 on-base percentage, and his defensive numbers fell as well. In only 51 games at third, he had 36 starts and he made seven errors and his range was diminished. On the year, he was worth a negative 1.2 war for the disappointing 74 win Yankees. The Yankees released him after that year. He signs with Cleveland. He hit 266 in 64 games, which was better than he did in New York. But after that year, there weren't a lot of takers for a 36-year-old utility infielder with no power and limited defensive capabilities. And so Tom called it a career. So closing the book on Tom Brookins, 12 seasons in the major leagues, 1,336 games, and all but 130 of them were for the Detroit Tigers. 
He hit 246 with 175 doubles, 40 triples, 71 home runs, 86 steals, and an OPS plus of 83. He also had one World Series ring. He was inducted into the Mansfield University Athletic Alumni Hall of Fame in 1985. And in the loved to face, among pitchers he faced most often, he hit 378 against Mark Langston, 382 off of Tommy John, and 419 off of Charlie Huff with an OPS over one. Against other pitchers with maybe smaller sample sizes, he went four for six with two homers and three walks against Michigander Tim Burtzis and four for five with two homers against lefty Steve Carlton. He hated to face Frank Viola. 149 average and 47 appearances against Frank Viola, 0 for 5 against him in the ALCS, and only 3 for 22 against Rick Honeycutt and 2 for 21 against Len Barker. How about in retirement? Initially, Tom was out of the game. He stayed home. He was a dad. His kids were in high school. He knew that maybe someday he would want to go back to the game, but at first he just took some time off. In 2005, the Tigers hired him to manage their short season A-ball team at Anianta, and he led the team to the playoffs in the first season. He got promoted to A-level West Michigan and won the Midwest League in his first season. He then went up to Double A Erie, where he managed for a couple years, and he was generally well-regarded as a minor league manager. He connected well with his players. He was fiery and wanted to win, but also wanted to develop the players. And we do have a video here of an outstanding ejection where Tom is rightfully protesting a non-tag at the plate and does some excellent histrionics. Yeah, watching this highlight here, the runner from the Sea Wolves is coming into home. He slides feet first in kind of a side tag of the plate, and the catcher misses him by a mile. And the ump is actually in really good position, completely misses this play. Tom comes over from third base as the third base coach, and man, he is on fire. He's waving his arms around. He's pointing. He's calling him blind. He's like, I missed by this much. He kind of has his hands up, showing that the guy missed by several feet. Oh, he I, flips, his, flips his helmet around. Flips the helmet around. Does takes his kicks. sunglasses off. I love it. He's definitely using some language that Vin Scully would refer to as calling him an old so-and-so. This is, especially for a double-A game, giving the people their money's worth. He wanted to win, but he also... He knew what his role was there in developing players. It wasn't necessarily always about winning, but Tom was well-regarded as a minor league manager, and in the Tigers' system, it was thought that he would move up. Something else happened in 2006 that Tom had predicted earlier, which was Jim Leland became the Tigers' manager. It just took 40 years for that to actually become a reality. (laughs) And so while Brookins is moving up the minor league ranks, Leland is the manager— In Detroit, and in 2009, when Andy Van Slyke leaves as the first base coach, Brookins is brought in, and he remains there for a couple seasons, moves to third base in 2013, and when Jim Leland retires, Tom's name comes up as a possible major league manager. But he didn't get the job. Instead, the Tigers hired Brad Osmus to take over the team, and then they released Brookins from his contract. Rather than go back to the minors, Tom stepped away from the game at that time. He spent his time hunting, watching his grandson play baseball. And in 2015, he said he didn't put his name in the running for any jobs because he said, I just thought I'm pretty cool where I'm at. Seems like a pretty decent retirement. But in 2017, he gets pulled back in. Keep pulling me back. Jim Leland's managing Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. 
and he invites Tom to join his coaching staff. Tom said, a common thread in my life is Jim Leland. He certainly has had a profound effect on my baseball career. And Jim Leland, who had given him his initial push, that recommendation that got Tom a spot on the big league club, was now pulling him back for one last go-around. Team USA wins the World Baseball Classic, and that put a cap on Tom's career. And he said his motto in retirement was, I start the day off slow, and then I taper off from there. (laughs) That sounds like a great retirement. So we started this episode with a card with a big smile and a great look, but we knew from the back of the card this was also kind of a light-hitting utility infielder and a hustle guy. But now after looking at his career a little bit more, what do we think? We didn't follow up on what Tim ended up doing. So Tom's twin went back to Mansfield, got a teaching degree, taught and coached in his hometown. Meanwhile, Tom was working his way up and establishing himself at the major league level. Tom had said that his nickname when he was younger was was Brookie rather than Brooks, because according to him playing third base, I was certainly no Brooks as in Robinson. But when it came to replacing Tom Brookins, he outlasted every replacement that the Tigers tried to bring in, not necessarily with raw talent, but with work ethic and determination and hustle. And so during his time with the Tigers, The team never had a losing season. Tom Brookins was just this guy who was an ever-present player on the team during a long stretch of winning seasons. What he turned that into, among Tigers in the 1980s, he was third in games played after Alan Trammell and Lou Whitaker. He was sixth in hits, eighth in home runs, seventh in RBIs, seventh in wins above replacement. That's partially due to his defense. He was the fourth most valuable Tiger in the 80s, in defensive war behind Trammell, Whitaker, and Lance Parrish. Tom Brookins was constantly overlooked, but he was also just always there. And a theme of Tom's career summed up to the press by Tigers coach Billy Consolo was, what does Tom Brookins have to do to get noticed by you guys? Stand up on his chair and wave? And that lasted into his managerial career too. He had this perseverance, grittiness, and adaptability But he wasn't flashy, and he had a hard time getting noticed. But he was noticed by a lot of Tigers fans and became a fan favorite. He's not going to show up in the Tigers Hall of Fame, but he was a guy that Sparky Anderson trusted enough to keep around on contending teams for a whole decade, and he's willing to play him at any position. Tom Brookins was just that guy that maybe wouldn't be on a team even now as a third baseman with no power with no on-base percentage, he probably wouldn't make the big leagues at this point. But in the 80s, he was a valuable player on one of the best teams of the decade. That makes him a valuable card to us and a great story. So thank you, David, very much for that. One Thanksgiving note, there will be no new episode for the holiday. But we have had some of our biggest weeks recently with some of the big episodes like Jack Clark and Mike Kingery, among others. And the last two months have also been our two biggest months of listenership. So we really appreciate the support and that everyone keeps listening and sharing the show. We're thankful for you listeners, and we want to welcome all the new listeners that have joined us. Right around this time of year, the Spotify Wrapped comes out, which allows people to share the podcasts that they like with others. So we hope that you keep us in mind as you're doing that. We still have many hundreds of cards to go. And we hope that you will join us the rest of the way. So thank you very much to you at home. And if you are constantly fighting a battle against your five o'clock shadow, 
we'd love to hear about that battle on threads. You can find us at 1988 Tops Podcast. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.